Brad, it's late. Oh, for us, for us old dads. It's late for us old dads. I've been in the recording studio all day. Yeah, dude. I know. You're like uh you're burning you're burning the candle at both ends. Making albums, making records, making podcasts, making podcasts, creating things, products. Oh, not bad. Must, must feel good though, dude. It's nice. It's nice to be playing. Honestly, like, you know, I, uh, I'm just that type of person. I'm not in the moment. I'm really not very self-reflective and I kind of just adapt to the situations around me and I don't really think about it very much. And Getting in the studio and working on this stuff, I kind of forget. I'm like, oh, right. Like, this is what you do, motherfucker. And you feel really good doing it. And it's awesome. And, you know, like, sometimes I need to get back in the fray to even remember. So do you have, you know? um, do you have like your station, you know, like, I, what do you mean? I always have like, you know, like I always have to have like my station for tracking, like where I have like stuff at hand that I can reach, like, Picks and a capo and like drinks over here. Sure, you know yeah. the whole setup. I get really. I'll do a the... drum station, but I'm also like when I'm like tracking, I'm kind of like I'm not really like vibe. Like I'm not trying to be like yo. I'm trying to like groove in my vibe right now. Like I'm pretty hyped up. Right. You know what I mean? And I I like to be like really focused, super alert. I don't like listening to playbacks on my headphone. I like like standing up and going into the control room and listening in front of the board. Right. Just so I can like really focus and move my body around. You know, thanks, dog. And uh, so, yeah, but but my station will almost always include um, definitely fabric band-aids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, normal drum stuff, water, coffee. And um, these days, yeah, that's about it. Pretty basic, you know? Like, when I'm in those tracking days, I'm really trying to just, like, really stay focused. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've been through this. Like, it only takes uh, one time when you're younger to kind of fudge apart in the studio or do something you're not so sure about. And then you listen to it and hate it forever for the rest of your life, which sucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not a good feeling. So, you know, the older I get, I just try to take as many steps as possible to avoid that feeling, uh, mm -hmm. at least with my own stuff. So, but it's, uh, it's coming out great, man. I'm really enjoying it. That's awesome. I'm jealous. How was your uh, July 4th? Did you do something real New York? Uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Who did you Fucking, see? We spent we spent it on the waterfront over here with, you know, the entire Lower East Side. It was yeah. like a fucking war zone, dude. I mean, Oh, was it not? Oh my god, you know. I mean, we didn't need the we didn't need the Macy's fireworks, put it that way because the, the Dominicans had it like going off, like right yes. up your ass. <laughs> yes. Full on local fireworks. Fuck, show. I mean, like, not only do they get these immense, huge, like, professional fireworks, but they think nothing of lighting them off, like, six feet away from you as you're, like, walking, <laughs> right, trying to get right, your right. kids up the river to, like, see the Macy's show. It was pretty, it was really intense. It was pretty. Hilarious. And what, like, I'm a little confused. Like what happened in the last five years? Cause like fireworks used to be illegal. 
And I don't think they are anymore. It's like it's gradually loosened up. And I think just over the last like what's been going on over the last year and a half, the cops are just like, you know what? I got all this shit to deal with. <laughs> when I was a kid, when I was a kid, you had only two resources to get fireworks. If you wanted to get them any time of the year, you could go to Chinatown, right, New York. Right, right. And you could find some. Yeah. But then they used to set up these like firework, like pop-up shops, like right over the border in Pennsylvania. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like like right over the border. And right. they'd set, you know, like some closed fucking party city or something right. is like firework bonanza for a month. And then, you know, you go and get the shit and drive back. But now it's all over the place. I guess, uh, you know, Jason Pierre Paul taking off a finger and a half uh, <laughs> proved to them that uh, fireworks are safe for everyone. I mean, listen, Americans are getting smarter and smarter by the day. So I think you can give us more responsibility with things that can blow us up, right? Sure. Why not? More guns, more fireworks. We can handle it. Um I will use my sarcasm to introduce <laughs> my dear, dear friend, one of my favorite people on earth, Brad Clifford, who is immensely talented and focused and amazing. I'm always impressed with Brad. He, you know, started in, um, you know, as a great guitar player, he's in um, pretty fairly legendary, you know, hardcore band from Milwaukee called Since by Man, who was on Revelation and then did a few years in Poison the Well and eventually got on the road teching and it's just worked for great fucking bands like, uh, you know, Taking Back Sunday, Against Me, Gaslight, Slipknot, Mastodon. You know, he just goes from band to band and, and you know, no one ever has a bad thing to say about him. I think one of the cool indicators of the kind of dude Brad is, is like, you know, he said this story in this interview that I'd never heard, which was when, he had the opportunity to go to Poison the Well from Since by Man. And he literally got his band's blessing to do it. Yeah. Like, when the fuck does that happen? <laughs> like, that is really weird. That's the only time. That's like the <laughs> only time, exactly. And to follow it up, when Gaslight first was recommended Brad by our friend Scott, it was a little last minute. And we had asked him to do not only a tour, but like, yo, you want to come do like the cycle, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you can do the whole tour. Right. Uh, and he, because he's a great guy, he had like a three week or something tour booked with Taking Back Sunday. And he was like, listen, I can't start with you guys because I'm committed to Taking Back Sunday and I got to do this. And those dudes heard about like his predicament and literally told him, hey, Brad, you should really take that job. We'll find somebody else. <laughs> you know, like this is the kind of human we're talking about. Like That's this is pretty cool. It's kind of just indicative of like type of person he is. He's very giving. And uh, I think people are really willing to give back to him. Um, but I, uh, I found Brad when we started traveling together, like just this really... Uh, calming and uplifting and motivating spirit to have around. And even to the point that Brad and I started rooming together for years, just because the vibe was right, you know, and, um, and it just felt good. And it's a nice person to be around. And I was so happy to have him on. I happened to be in the studio today next to old Jared Hart. Yeah. So he came and filled in and asked some fun questions. 
Jared has been uh, tracking vocals literally all day long. Um, so I can't even believe he still has a voice, uh, <laughs> let alone doing the interview. So that was a lot of fun, though. Yeah. And uh, Brad has lots of great stories. Why don't we? Should we hear some? Let's listen to them. Technology is a wonder, isn't it? <laughs> Studio engineers, if they can't figure out your audio troubles, who can, you know? I you know what, Brad. You know what I realized, Brad, during this session of recording is that I uh, I needed to change the way I do things. to Because there's no ambient light? No, no. That is, that is a factor that we must speak about. <laughs> of course. Because we are recording an album without our lighting system that I needed. We had a few songs going into this that like we had the skeletons for and like they were these good tracks, but we didn't get to the point where I got to like really figure out like the nuances. And I'm like, how am I going to do this thing from like top to bottom? And, and then, you know, I'm like half a day in the studio and I'm realizing it's just not the way it's done anymore. And the guy's like, listen, nobody comes in here anymore and then plays a song from 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 uh, beginning to end. So like, you just take it part for part, you know? I'm like, oh my God, recording's so easy now. Like, <laughs> like you could just kind of like, you just miff your way through now. I don't have to stress nearly as much as I used to. It's true. You just punch in that one fill. You just... uh you know, singular track, everything. Just just record the snare drum on this take. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> Why <Yeah>. not? <laughs> Benny, have you ever had anyone ask you to play the cymbals on a separate take? Uh. <laughs> uh, nothing besides for like having samples, no. Okay. Um, I've seen I- people do this in the studio and it it seems ridiculous. It's like asking a guitar player like, all right, cool play it but without this one string and then right. we'll do another take of just that one string exactly yeah i'm not really up for stuff like that unless you know there's like something in my head that i can't get it to sound like that and if that's the case then i'll do anything to make it sound like that <laughs> but it's like normally not the case um i don't know so brad how's the great northwest how did you fare during the uh the heat wave it's pretty good. I will say the heat wave was notable. Uh, Two thirds of places here do not have air conditioning. And when it's like 107, yeah, it's one of those things you take for granted. Sure. So it's almost the, like the, climate change is real, though. Yeah. Wild, yeah. It almost, huh? it almost seems like it's real. I know. Almost <laughs> like there's anecdotal evidence all in front of our faces. Yeah. I mean, I'm skeptical of everything, but, uh, Turns out everyone who's an expert is right. Yeah, this one seems legit, being that mm-hmm. everything's like on fire. Um, <laughs> the ocean. So, I mean, did you see any like, like where they're like cooling centers where they're like people really like looking for help? Was it like out in the streets or did it not like last that long that it, that it became something like that? Uh, it was like three days, but there is a heavy like houseless population here because of right. uh, it being insane cost of living. But uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't really get out too much. I kind of just, we went to like uh, a river float one day, which was nice. <laughs> and the other day, I'm lucky to have, to live in a place that has like a, a concrete basement where my like little workshop of things is. So I just 
made pedals for most of the day and it was like 70 down there. So no complaints. That's good. But a very, very fortunate situation to be in. How, um, how are you taken to being a West Coaster? It's good. Uh, there are many days when I like will leave the house and look in one direction and see like the Olympic mountain range and then look up the hill the other way and see the Cascade mountain range. And it's real freaky for a boy from the Midwest. Yeah, sure. Uh, but there's also many days that I just wake up and I'm like, I live on the West coast. Yeah. Never, never thought that would happen, but here I am. Are you like a a permanent coastal installation now? Or do you see yourself going back to curd, curd, curd country at some point? (laughs) I never really cared where I end up really. It's like yeah, wherever there's sure. something for me, I'll uh, sure like and here there was definitely something for me in Seattle, so away I went. Uh if that changes, then I'll go wherever. I don't know. I can make I can make something of wherever, I guess. If, as long as there's a reason to be there, I can find positive in it, I think. As long as there's a guitar to be fixed. That's right. Where's as the long last as there's place a you want to live though? Wait, the last place? Oh, the man. last place. Like the last... You know how Ian used to say like his whole thing was, I'm not going to die here? Yeah. Like where's that place for Brad? Oh, yeah. L- lately, it's just got to be that that piece of the ocean that's on fire. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good point. I wouldn't want to I mean, live it there seems either. bad. There's a little platform next to it, which is cool. So you can just like get out of the, the fiery water for a little bit and maybe chill on that platform. Get a tan. But aside from that, there's not like a... There's not a lot of import and exporting. There's not a lot of uh, gardens. There's not a lot of not a lot of access to goods that you might want. I think so. I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to die there. Good Actually, point. good place to die. Bad place to live. <laughs> strong. That's very strong. Great answer. <laughs> but I think Jared's going for the meat here, Brad. We want shit talking. What's a you city want shit talking? You can't wrong guy. You don't like. Oh, man. Or you just had like a miserable, you know, like, or like yeah, one of those towns. It's always raining. Like like ah, every time I'm in Kansas City, it's overcast. Like You're like what? Like Seattle? Yeah. <laughs> uh, ah, this is bad. Like I feel like a terrible shit talker in that I can't find a place that I'm just like yo, fuck that city for real. No, I think it's indicative of you and your ability to find. The positive in even the shittiest of places. Um, even the ocean on fire. I'm curious. I mean, like now, you know, we're going to get into this a lot uh, about your background and playing music and teching and all that. But when's the last time you had a nine to five? Never. This is the, f- like, like right the now. first time. Yeah, I've never had a nine to five in my life. Wow. So how uh, are you taking, like, how are you finding it? Like, what, is there anything you've really like, um, been exposed to as a result that you like had never been able to see before, like about the grind, the daily grind of like a normal person like that? Yeah, it's definitely a grind because like, you know, tour is a grind and all that stuff too, but uh, there's like more periodic days off on tour stuff. And I don't know, the nine to five thing, it's cool to come home every night, but it's also, (laughs) I guess I'm used to like the, the thing of tour where, you know, at the end of, the day there's the event that you're the reason right. you're there and you're you're the whole day is building up to this pinnacle so you mm-hmm. have that but then the nine to five is like the whole day you're just building up to when the anti-climax of just being like well i'm done now and then you yeah. 
career is home, you know? Um, but it's exhausting. Uh, and it's oddly more stressful, I huh. think. Really? Yeah, which I like I've told that to a few friends and it's pretty surprising. But I think maybe it's just for the work that I like, you know, I'll take it seriously and people's instruments like uh, are very personal to them. Yeah. So I'm constantly, you know, every guitar someone comes in to pick up after repairing, it's like, are they going to like it? Are they going to come back? Are they going to oh, hate it? Like, right. what's the thing? And there's not a lot of people who will, who will want to make uh, adjustments, but there is that like, uh, are you good? Am I, is this to your liking? Wow. Um, so really like you feel more, uh, like you feel more nervous handing off a guitar to some rando at the guitar shop than, than like the dude from Slipknot on stage. Yeah, because there's not their personal relationship. Like you don't know oh, how this right. person likes it unless they're explicitly telling you certain things they do or like. Just like, I don't know, man, make it rip, you know? Yeah. Uh, but that means different things to different people. And not that I'm like sweating it. Uh, you know, the job is the job and you kind of know what works for most people. Right. But yeah. So how are you getting motivated for it? Like, I know you're so fueled by, you know, just being in a different place all the time and seeing different people in different cities and, you know, mm -hmm. when you can, you know, getting out to explore those towns. And I know that's very motivating for you. So like, what are you doing? Are you doing anything new on a day to day to kind of get yourself moving and make sure you're motivated for the day? Not really. Yeah. Um, I've definitely had to like adjust schedule and things. Like I used to be the kind of dude who just wakes up 15 minutes before I have to be somewhere. <laughs> be like, right. All right, I'm out, you know? Like slap on some pants and I'm good. But now I kind of have to like wake up a little extra hour early and ease yeah. into things and kind of get in. Which reminds me of you. I feel like that's a very Benny process to like, uh, you know, prepare yourself and and give yourself like the the moment of clarity to be where you're going to be. It's true. I try. Yeah. And that's why it takes so long to do anything. Though. <laughs> <laughs> like I got to wake up. I got to have a 45 minute bath. You know, I, I, do, I honestly, I find it with kids. I'm just better. Like if I can manage to wake up 45 minutes, hour before my kids do. And I just have a fucking minute to just like get my head on right. Drink some coffee you know, taking yeah. anything but that. But when I have to go straight from like waking up to the grind, I'm just worse. I'm in a worse mood. I'm just less lively, you know, yeah. less sleep. I understand. And then I see these fucking parents, you know, everybody's, you feel insecure in any section of life, right? Like I wake up at like six in the morning and I'm like, all right, I got 45 minutes here to sip on some coffee, maybe check up on this. And then I see like the dude from two doors down fucking running, you know, at like six, <laughs> like doing all this stuff. I'm like, oh, fuck, is that what you got to do out here? Like fitness, dad? I and that's when you just crack your window and you scream, overachiever! Shut up! <laughs> You're probably getting skid cancer. Go home! <laughs> Something like that. Do you usually wake up before the kids? Like, do you get that time? I do. I mean, I kind of like make myself, you know? It's like yeah, where, you know, someone might, take a piss and go back to sleep. I just like make myself stay up and drink the coffee and enjoy, enjoy the time. I'll even take mm. like a weird power nap. I read a thing where since it takes coffee 20 minutes to kick in, you can like start drinking some coffee and then take like a 10, 15 minute power nap. And you're kind of awoken with like 
the the bolt of caffeine, it kind of works. That's like taking up and uppers and downers at the I same know, time. I know. <laughs> trying, to, all, trying, to, trying to race them against each other. We're all just recovered junkies. It's better yeah. than what I used to do, right? <laughs> So, like, man, I used to do uppers and downers, and now I just drink coffee and try to take a nap, see which shit. wins. Same shit. <laughs> so I found something funny. A quote from you oh, no. from at least at least 20 years ago, okay? <laughs> this, can't, this can't be good. So <laughs> you were in the group Since by Man. Sure. You know, wonderful group from Milwaukee. And I found an old interview with you, Brad Clifford. <laughs> and they asked about a tour coming up. And this is you in quotes, okay? The honeybee is that we're going to be on tour for a long time. I love that you even said that, the honeybee. Like, <laughs> man, uh, a month and a half with the bled starting late February, then a month in Europe with Bear vs. Shark directly after that. It should be epic as hell, and we're all excited. And I've already <laughs> promised that our new shtick is going to be to stick our fingers in people's mouths while we play, and we're going to tickle their throats until they vomit. <laughs> Sounds sketchy. <laughs> what the fuck is that all about? Oh, I mean, it's just normal Brad Clifford shit. <laughs> that makes me laugh. So I've well, got no excuses for that one. I I thought it was going to be worse. Worse. So <laughs> oh, yeah. Was, was this your vibe when you were in band? Were you a troll? <laughs> were you like one of the early like like analog trolls? No, I was definitely, I was actually thinking about this earlier today. I would many, uh, I guess most of the time that I spent in bands in like younger years was very, like I felt very young and like, Mm. I was like, oh, let's just be wild. Yeah. Like, right. Is like funny coming from like a straight edge kid who didn't like get fucked up and get wild that way, but just like doing silly, dumb stuff all the time. Uh, Was it yeah. like a way to feel like, like, you know, a little more subversive? Like since you're not doing the drunk drugs, like smash bottles over your head kind of punk rock, it's kind of more of a not taking the thing too seriously in that way? Like was, was a little bit of your way to show that dissension? I feel like most of my life has been like hanging out with the drunk people and waiting for them to get real wild just so I can encourage things to get <laughs> wow. more like a, definitely the instigator of like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, okay. Now that you're like ready to do dumb shit, let's right. go do this. Right. That's dangerous, Brad, because you got to think as the sober guy, people look to you to like, see if, if what they're doing is like too much because they're fucked up. Mm. So like yeah, when but- you approve of it, <laughs> everyone's like, Oh, if Brad says it's cool. <laughs> so you're, you're playing with fire. Yeah, that's probably true. And I like but it. But I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's definitely times when things get too sketchy and you're like, ooh, that's on you. That's on you. And you step back. Because <laughs> you always have that, you know? You're like, I'm not the one who's fucked up here. Yeah, but. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Your bunk curtain closed. That's right. <laughs> now, like, in those days, you know, like, you know, Since My Man was kind of part of that you know, early uh, foray into some of these bands, like, you know, using a little kind of mathiness in the hardcore, maybe some early parts of metalcore and mm-hmm. post-hardcore. I mean, at the time, um, you know, did you know you all were like part of some, you know, forward movement or were you just like, 
writing songs that, you know, felt good at the time? Like, was there an intention that, that you guys were doing something new and different? Uh, not for me. I joined the band after they put out their first, first full length. So right. the groundwork had been kind of laid as far as style. Um, and things just continued sort of in that vein. I mean, I'm, I maybe remember one time during practice of writing something, getting like really stoked and and thinking like, nobody does this. Like, I, I can't think of another band that mm. this sounds like. Right. But I'm sure if I heard that exact same part today in retrospect, I'd be like, oh, it sounds like this, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, and it didn't feel like super musically progressive or anything. It felt like a melting pot of different things, mm. which just seemed like natural. Um, right. You know, like most bands kind of take from this, take from that. So it just felt like a, that kind of thing. And how did you like, what was the process of going from, from Since by Man to Poison the Well? Uh, so there was a tour that was Under Oath, Poison the Well, and Since by Man. Um, so we became friends on that tour. And I just kept up with him. And uh, the guitar player previous to me was a tattoo artist um, who was doing pretty well with that. And I kind of got the feeling that he was going to be dedicating more time to that. Mm. Uh, so they're recording the versions record right. when uh, he stopped being in the band. And I kind of joked around with the singer and was like, oh, cool. When do I move, man? <laughs> and right. yeah. like, just there was nothing behind it, kind of a sure. laugh. And then... Like the next week, he's like, hey, were you serious about that? I'm like, wait, what do you mean? <laughs> and he's like, I mean, because I, I mentioned it and people seem like curious about the idea. I'm like, oh, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I, I, I hadn't really entertained that in a serious way, but right. And so then kind of, but I, you know, I was in a band at the time. So I went to band practice and flew out the idea and everybody was just like, it seems like something you want to do. And I know that's like in the, in the style of things you you dig, and I know you want to do more touring and more things like that, so they were supportive of me doing it. And wow, yeah, that was kind of the transition. That's awesome. That's awesome that you got them like behind behind you to make that move. That's like really special yeah. to have that kind of support for that. Oh, absolutely! Like all the Since by Man guys are like we're always solid people, and like they're still homies to this day. And I don't see that would change. It was just like a great band to be in and great people. Milwaukee people, good people. Salt of the earth. Salty curd country, nice <laughs> people. Now, you got to take me behind the curtain a little of Poison the Well, because you know I know Poison the Well a little bit. Uh-huh. Like, you know, Jeff taught me how to make an apple bowl in the 90s. <laughs> very important to me. You know, uh-huh. things like that. But I had even kind of forgot until I was like getting into this. Like, besides for Jeff, Ryan, and Chris there's a remarkable amount of members of Poison Well over the years. And oh, yeah, you actually totally. have a substantially longer stretch than a bulk of the others. Really? Like, yeah, yeah. Like a four-year stretch is like pretty solid. You're in like top <laughs> 10. Um, <laughs> top like, 10. Like just as far as band operations went, like why do you think there's so much turnaround? And when you were in the band, like was it ever a very like settled experience or were you – did it kind of feel like you you may be in and you may be out? Uh, I started off just being like, but being brought in as a hired gun because uh, they had recorded versions as a three piece essentially, right? And we're just they looking went for to a like couple. Scandinavia or something, right? Yeah, yeah, they did it with a uh, Pelle and Eskol in Sweden, right? Um, so they just you know players to play on that. 
So yeah, I came in just kind of doing that thing. And then through the course of that cycle, when it sort of ended and they were going to start writing for the next record, then me and the bass player, another Brad, uh, started writing with him to kind of see how that would go and then ended up becoming uh, members at that time. Right. Yeah. Uh, But it definitely never felt like my thing, you know, like it's such an established band and... Right. um, And like like I said too, like how I was always like young and stupid and wanted like definitely in retrospect felt like that and I was just wanted to like go crazy on stage and play fast, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, they were definitely much more matured musicians than me, and it was the first time in my life playing with them that I had to like, oh, like my timing's really bad. Uh, <laughs> oh, right, <laughs> like I have right. to focus on my musicianship. It's not huh. about like putting on the show or being wild, or you know, stuff like yeah, that. Right, things right. that things that did seem to be a priority in in bands previous. You kind of um, had to step up that side. Yeah, or try to, you know. Um, but yeah, it was very much their thing. It definitely didn't feel like, oh, this is the Brad version of the band. Like, it's not that vibe right, going on at right. all, you know? And you um, never, like, really had the impression, like, yo, I'm in, like, Poison the Well forever. No. No. And not that I was, like, waiting for the axe or anything like that. Sure. Um, but, yeah. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, I saw, like, Poison the Well is getting a lot of love, uh, in retrospect, kind of, you know, as hmm. like one of those pioneering bands that we were kind of talking about earlier, sort of like mm-hmm. changed the game a little bit, changed that style of music. Yeah. Um, when you're like writing with Poison the Well, how's the process? Is it is it like kind of stem from Ryan down? Uh, yeah, mostly. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's a great guitar player, and he, yeah. you know a lot of the band's sound is his vibe, you know? Sure. Um, so yeah, some of that, the the Tropic Rot was the last record and I mean, it's hard to break down percentages, but I, there was like one song that I wrote the skeletons of and then we'd contribute like parts here and there. There's certain songs that are like, you know, kind of go riff for riff and arrangement. Um, but yeah, by and large, I think, I mean, definitely the, the Chris, Ryan, Jeff dynamic is that band. Right. Um, and there was no, definitely not like any, at least for me personally, no, like, oh, whoa, I'm, I'm writing with this epic band kind of thing. <laughs> right, Even though, right. to, like, to me, uh, like, I, you know, and I was, I don't remember, I'm terrible with years. I don't remember what age I started playing with them, but uh, I mean, like, according when, to Wikipedia, it was 2006, <laughs> Brad. Okay. Well, like, and you're discogs. We asked Alexa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Alexa, tell me about, uh, <laughs> But like, you know, when Opposite of December came out, I was definitely a fan. And Oh, yeah. Like all that stuff to me, aside from any uh, personal involvement, it, I, I definitely think it is uh, influential on so many other bands and was like maybe legendary is a weird word for any band, but uh, certainly within that, that scene of things was a really important band and like really important releases, I think. Hey, Brad. Yeah. So I like love when friends hop in other bands and just get yeah. down with it. So was yeah. there a song that you were most stoked to rip live when you joined Poison the Well? Like that you were like, I'm going to lose my absolute mind <laughs> playing nerdy <laughs> right. at the end of the set. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that a lot of like the opposite of December stuff 
you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep up and like learn the songs early in rehearsal. So it's like a much more chill thing. But I definitely remember my first show was like, I don't know, like a small club in South Carolina or something like that. And playing like some of those songs on stage definitely did have like sort of a surreal feeling. Of like, whoa, I'm like the guy who has to play these parts right now, like kind of trippy. Wait, did you have some impressive stage moves? I mean, because I see these pictures of you when you were young. (laughs) So slim, so handsome, you know, so charismatic. Nimble. Nimble. You had that that swaft of hair, that swaft of hair going going over your forehead. You had a little comb over vibe? Yeah, man. If I don't now, I definitely did then. (laughs) Uh, I like to refer to that look as the emo lion. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> looking back on that photo I'm like yeah that's the vibe what was the vibe did you do the spinnies did you flip guitars like around your shoulders oh, did you do all that shit no I I don't know I've never wanted to like it to be a real like sticky planned out like I've got moves kind of thing right um, you've got the height for the guitar flip though you the, do. the, over the <laughs> over the shoulder because it's true I'm a little lower to you know like vertically impaired. So a neck usually would crash into the floor if I attempted to do that. So I feel like you would get a good clearance. I don't think, I mean, plus at that time, we were into nice guitars, which deters Mm. the guitar flip. Copy. I can't can't imagine it's deterred it from all the people you've worked for. (laughs) Like, like... That's one of the things I know about you. You know, I know how much you care about those guitars and how much work you put into them to make sure they're right. Do you ever just hand it off to someone and you're just like, oh, don't do that? Oh, no, it's the opposite. Like, oh, I want people to destroy things. A, because I think it <laughs> makes a better show. Yeah. I mean, not, not if they're like planning it and like, yeah, sure. song, smash your guitar. You know, like, sure, that's sure. stupid. Yeah. But or I worked for At the Drive in briefly and, uh, the guy I worked for was like, oh, man, like I kind of wanted to throw my guitar at the end of that show, but I felt weird about it. I'm like, why? It's like, I don't want to make extra work for you. And I'm like, dude, whatever you can do, if it feels right, it's probably going to make for a better show. And I might not be able to fix everything, but I'm open for the challenge. So yeah. if you can come up with something I can't fix, I'll figure it out one way or another. Just do it. And that's kind of part and parcel for really your whole philosophy about the thing, right? It's like really, you know, your contribution to the entire thing is is so important to the overall show that that um, you see it almost as like, like we're all playing a part here in a larger experience. And because of that, like, does that mean you just like can't take jobs for bands you don't like? Uh, no, I mean, I'd be willing to work for whoever, but I, I guess I've been lucky to have the option of working for people that I have some interest in at least, um, over the like, you know, something that may offer more money, but I don't have any musical interest in or anything like that. Right. Plus it's like sort of the investment thing. You know, if you, if you like somebody, you're going to be more attentive to the things you're going to want things to be better for them. And although I, you know, wouldn't want that to be the case and affect the job, like I'm sure it does, even in a subconscious way. I just want to see you get a job for like third eye blind and just be like, Steve, 
what the fuck, man? Don't do that. Because you're like, I don't care about your show, you know? Like, <laughs> So, but that goes into something else. Because you've had like this really great, you know, because of your experience playing and you're such a big fan of music. And now because of your job, you've essentially had like one of the best seats in the house watching thousands of shows with great fucking bands. Mm-hmm. Like, what are some like hardcore cemented do's and don'ts for a live band? Like, what are something, like, say you're talking to a young band right now. You're like, listen, two things, always do this. Two (laughs) things, never fucking do that. Like, what are they? What are, like, cardinal rules? Like, from a how-to-operate-your-band standpoint or from, like, strictly a live performance thing? Uh, in this context, live performance. I I do have a a follow-up as as far as the band (laughs) thing goes. Okay. Uh, Live performance. The only times it gets really cringy for me is when things are, like, very planned out and very cheesy. Mm. But that's just me. And I know some of that shit, like, crowds eat up. Right, right, Um, right, right. But for me, it's like, I don't know, any stuff that's... Like you give the same speech every night or you give the, like, here's the clap along part or some stuff like that is just like, eh, whatever to me. Right, sure. But I mean, anything that, uh, maybe it's just like a less, uh, it's more of a, like a theatrical thing. Like you have your shtick, it works well for you night after night and that's kind of the way it goes. Right. Like right. I, I get that standpoint of it, but I think I definitely find it more endearing and more to... Uh, what I dig about music and live stuff when bands are just like, I'm feeling it. I'm going to do this tonight, you know? Sure. And you think it's like also uh, on the ancillary, like beneficial to the band to do that, you know, like in the long run? That's, I get, it's, that's, that's where you figure that's out if you've got it or you, it, right? yeah. yeah, it's where like, well, that's also where you figure if you've got it, or you don't like, mm. you know, if you're, if you're coming up with different things every night or doing things a little differently, like you're, you're trying it out. Like you don't right. know what's going to, what's going to fly. Like some people might not respond to this sure. or you, you know, you might not pull it off, whatever you're trying to do. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I guess that all comes down to, to the individual of how well they know what's going to play or how well the crowd's just into whatever they're going to do, you know? And what's it do? Like what's something like, Hey, you're about to go start playing good shows. Make sure you're doing this. I mean, I, certainly from my standpoint is make sure your equipment is solid. Right. Like we've all been to shows and worked shows where things fail uh, at very bad times. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, oh, you're playing a stadium right. and all of a sudden this goes down. Like you probably could have spent more time working on that or, you know. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, I think just having all of that locked in. I mean, that's the whole point of anything I do or any other tech or whatever. Right. Or anybody who cares for their own stuff too. Is, you know, this is all a tool. Like it's the less you have to think about it, the better. Mm. So the more you can prepare for it in that way. So you don't have to think about it. And it is just the vehicle for you to make music. Yeah, and yeah, sure. That's what you got to do, you know? Yeah, badass. Now, like to wrap around to that other thing, you know, you know, in the same token, you know, you've been on stage a thousand times. You've also been 
in a thousand tour buses and watch <laughs> a thousand bands, you know, have these interpersonal dynamics. So I'm sure you've seen, you know, uh, and from a text point of view, you often have to watch these conversations play out without being able to really offer your opinion into them. So, I mean, A, like, is that ever frustrating? Like, do you ever just see people arguing and you know there's just this painfully simple solution that you just cannot offer? <laughs> uh no, because it's such a personal thing. Like, I will say it's kind of the opposite. For me personally, it's extremely liberating uh, oh, being right. being around those conversations. So you're like, I don't have and to kind of, be part of it. Yeah, like that's one of the <laughs> toughest things about being in a band to me is that, sure. you know, yeah. you like, it's a democracy in most bands. So you are, like you care a lot about this one thing uh, or this one aspect of something. Like I really believe like this song should be the first one to be released from the record or something like something like that. Right. But then everyone else disagrees with you. Like it can be a really tough dynamic. And then there's, you know, so many conversations around that and you're trying to get other people to see your perspective and they're trying to get you to see yours. There really has to be a lot of good communication and dynamics in that band for it to work out well and still be mm. like a happy thing, I think. So not, having to have my heart invested in those kind of things is pretty liberating. And yeah. I mean, there's countless times being around bands when they're like, you know, having the disagreements or serious talks that every band has and being able to just be like, well, uh, I'll be over here. Yeah. You let me know what you want to do, dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be chilling in Brad world. Whatever. <laughs> you got some good vibes to bring me. <laughs> now, now that being said, like, um, you know, even though you can't really, offer your, you know, your counsel in the moment or something, or, you know, you enjoy getting away from it. Like, what are some things that you've seen the, the higher functioning bands you've been around, the bands that have good dynamics and, and operate well and, and speak well to each other? Like, what are the uh, common things and the threads that you find in like bands like that? Uh, I think that's more like, uh, like love and respect for each other. Like, you know, you're, you're more likely to hear someone's opinion uh, for what it is, even over your own, if you really care about this person who's talking to you. Mm. So I kind of think the more you're close and invested with your bandmates or whoever you're working with, the kind of easier it is to, to be open to that kind of thing. Right. So I think the, the more successful bands that I've seen navigate those situations are people who have pretty close relationships. Right. Or kind of the flip of that is bands who uh, operate in a less democratic way. Right, where it's, right, right. There's like one leader mm -hmm. and everyone kind of either kind of knows their role in that and is kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm riding the wave of this person, you know? Right, uh, right. Or who is just kind of, you know, it's been decided that like, this is the person who has kind of the the largest vision sure. and everyone can be put themselves in a place where they're supportive of that. Right. Like those two dynamics seem to be the most successful in my outside understanding, you know? Yeah, it makes sense. And what does it take for like, you know, the non-democratic band? Like, what does it take for the leader of that group to keep everyone engaged and pleased underneath it? 
Like, like what helps with that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've seen I don't it say where underneath. It's... That's that's maybe a bad way to put it. Underneath them, but you know, <laughs> like like the other pieces, the yeah. peons, yeah, the peons, the peons, yeah. the peons of the band. Play your bass. Each of the <laughs> you get hummus and chips. <laughs> what more do you require? <laughs> Drink <laughs> tickets and hummus is not <laughs> enough for you. Quiet, Benny. A tambourine doesn't need to be played. <laughs> it's the staple of any musician. Drink tickets, hummus, and chips. <laughs> any more is frivolous. <laughs> I will be at the Sizzler if you need me. <laughs> Oh, are there uh, still, are there, is there still Sizzler out there? No, probably I not. Think the, che- <laughs> the Cheesecake Factory is the new Sizzler. Seattle That's the Sizzler. new Sizzler one. I think the so. Seattle yeah. Sizzler. <laughs> uh, I don't really see a lot of people trying to make sure that... Like, like I don't see the leader being like, all right, I'm going to treat everyone nice or I'm going to make sure everyone feels respected. I feel like part of the leader role is like being dominant. Wow. Whether yeah. whether they know it or not. I, I don't think it's always a conscious thing. Right. But I think it's just like, uh, I'm the leader. So I'm kind of doing this. Right. And, and it's not really like, hey guys, thanks for listening to me and supporting me. I, I don't think that's in the, the DNA of that role necessarily. And not yeah. that that's a, a bad thing. I don't know. What do you think? Well, no, it's, I mean, the first, it's an interesting uh, dynamic. And I think of sometimes even like, um, you know how like, like over the years, I've gotten a little more empathetic towards like security guards at venues. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. one of the things I've realized is this like, if you're really nice and really pleasurable, people try to take you for like so much more. So these <laughs> security guards, they like, they kind of like lay it down right off the bat. Like, yo, like I'm serious about my job. Don't fuck with me, you know, and then we'll be all right. They kind of got to like lay it down a little. And I do think, I guess there's an aspect to leadership unless you're like, uh, you know, Dave Grohl or like one of these like gregarious leaders, you know, who mm-hmm. somehow knows how to not only manage a band, but also like personalities. If you're mm-hmm. not that, I could see what you're saying to be true. The idea that like, um, if you even think there's a negotiation coming up, it changes the dynamic. If you know there's no negotiation coming up, it is makes for a fairly simple dynamic, right? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I could see, I could see the truth in it. I think the thing is, you know, the people underneath, as we said, the peons, they either have to be... (laughs) They either have to be well compensated or they have to be very like emotionally engaged and believe in the thing that's happening and believe in the person making the decisions, right? It's got to be one of the two, though. You I'm going to just... propose a third option. Oh, okay. The fear of change. Oh. I think so many people, especially in this. Uh, like it's a lifestyle. Like it's not just like a job, you know, it's like a full on lifestyle for a lot of people. Sure. Uh, Like if you're not doing this, what are you doing? Like it's, Mm. it doesn't parlay really easily into another job quickly or another line of work or another option. It's kind of like, you've got your ride. Are you going to get off? And then if Mm. so, what are you going to do and how much you going to hold your tongue because of that? Right. Um, I feel like I see that, you know, pretty often. 
Yeah, sure. Like just people kind of hanging on because they just don't want to lose their life, their lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, there's so many positives and negatives that, but it is tough to just like totally change the train for a lot of things. Yeah, it's a good point. Like players, especially like, you know, like crew stuff is like total mercenary work and whatever. You could quit this band and go work for another one. But players, uh, like whether they're hired or like members of the band in whatever capacity, like I don't think it's real easy to jump from one to the next kind of thing. Right. Yeah, that's true. So so tell me a little bit about Slipknot. (laughs) All right. Because... You know my one story about Slipknot, right? Have I ever told you this? I don't think so. So I was at, I was backstage at a festival. I think it was a Nova Rock, perhaps. And uh, I'm in the hallway and I'm hanging out. I, I can't for the life of me remember the name of the band. It was like a young English band who I had befriended earlier that day. And they were one of those ones who got kicked out of their backstage at like three in the afternoon and were now chilling in the hall all day. Um, uh-huh. And we're hanging out and uh, Slipknot starts coming out of the backstage rooms and working their way to the stage. And I'm like, you know, I'm, who knows? I'm a little, maybe a little drunk, maybe a little stoned at this point. Who knows? And Slipknot's walking out and I'm like, hey, it's fucking Slipknot. Look at them, the guys with the mat. They already had the masks on, the whole thing. Yeah. And, and the long nose guy comes right <laughs> up to my face. Goes right into my face and goes, boogie, woogie, 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 woogie. <laughs> just makes this bizarre noise and just walks off. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. the majesty of Slipknot. It's true. It's real. Like it's all real. Yeah, it's it's real. all real. They wear their masks all the time. They make strange noises at people in the hall. I'm like, this is great. Like, this is... And then I went up to the stage and watched the show. And I was like, holy shit, this is a fucking show. Like, oh, I yeah. didn't even know much about Slipknot, honestly, besides for, like, a couple songs I'd heard on, you know, MTV or something. Mm-hmm. And I walked away from that show going, like, whoa, this is, like, a whole thing. Now, yeah. like, what's it like, like, coming into that fold? And, and what's it like, like, uh, kind of, you know, with the mass off, as it were? <laughs> uh, how, I don't, like... Or do you have an NDA? I do have an NDA. Oh. But, okay. uh, I mean, even still, there's not like, Whoa. I don't have like a lot of like, oh, here's the secrets, even if I right. didn't, you know? Right, right, right. It's not, I mean, it's, I, it is a really like, production-wise, like you were saying, it is like a spectacle. Right. Which yeah. is super fun. Like, yeah, sure. Uh, just to to be a cog in any of that. um, And... I do think they're one of those bands that are kind of, they do seem larger than life because they have more going on, like beyond the normal band thing, with like the masks and everything. Yeah. Um, and like tons of production. Like they do, they do things big, uh, which not a lot of people have the, I don't know, like the foresight or the dedication or the follow through to, to really do, um, or even the fan base to be able to support that. Right. Sure. Uh, but it's like, I mean, that's the thing. You're you're probably not going to see Slipknot play like, you know, an intimate fly date with whatever. <laughs> right. Like, we've done a couple little small things uh, with like you know a scaled down thing. But even still, then it's like as much as you can. Like, it's it's still way more 
than what uh, another band would kind of do in that situation. Right, right. And I think that stuff's like really interesting and commendable and definitely speaks to like the whole vision of the thing. Sure. Now, like behind the scenes, would people be uh, shocked at Slipknot's normality? Or is it like, is it like the Valhalla of decadence that people probably (laughs) imagine? No, I mean, like everybody's just a person, right? Yeah. But I, I, I mean, I, a guy I mean, with a mask isn't. I mean, it's the whole Batman thing, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've all worn masks on Halloween and transformed <laughs> into like a totally different... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like liberated or decadent personality. Right. Based on like that little switch alone. You know how many times I've just felt like a sexy nurse on Halloween? <laughs> Hundreds. Hundreds. <laughs> So yeah, like like what I mean, what what's the vibe like? I mean, is it is it family style? Is it wild? Like like what's it like in the Slipknot camp? I mean, honestly, most of it is. There's so many people on it. There's like right. there's a hundred crew. Wow. There's yeah, a shit. lot. There's a lot going on. So most yeah. of, I mean, for me, it's most of my day is like I get up, load in, and then hang out in Guitar World like all day. Yeah. Um, cause it's, A, it's kind of like my space and sure. also just want to do my job and enjoy it and make sure that everything's good. How uh, much stuff are you managing in Slipknot? Uh, just one guy, but that's like, uh, our, our rigs aren't small. Right. Um, and it's not like, uh, there's not a whole lot of things that are like, oh, well, we better switch to Axe Effects cause it's digital and it's small footprint and it'll save on shipping or things like that. It's like. You know they want to sound, sound the best and uh, do what's fun and what they're comfortable with. Yeah. So there's enough. Plus, I don't know with my guy too. There's I kind of encourage also like you have a lot of cool guitars. Let's bring them out. And who do you, who do you tech and Slipknot for Jim Root? Okay. I found I found like there's some there's some interesting like fan sites for Slipknot that were kind of like stalking you. Me. Yeah. There's literally like a Reddit thread about who Jim Root's guitar tech is and like little like Instagram clips and stuff like maybe showing you and stuff like that. It's it's some pretty hardcore fandom, man. That's weird. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure to quell that. I mean, he's definitely posted like a photo of the two of us <laughs> like in Guitar World. So I don't think it's any any secret or anything like that. If you guys have a <laughs> but, great tour, do you get like tour masks? What do you mean? You know how like sometimes they're like, great tour. Here's like jackets with like the tour <laughs> embroidered on them. Do you just get, you all know, get tour masks? <laughs> no tour masks. Oh, bummer. You should bring that up, Jim Root. <laughs> I don't know. Such a cool thing. I could listen to dudes on pedestals playing like steel drum, like, I remember just being like, what am I watching? It's like metal meets Mad Max, but it's like super melodic. It's just, it's there really, is a Mad Max vibe going on. Yeah. like There is. That is kind of, that's a good... Is that, and that's the thing. They go, they're like pretty unique in a lot of ways and do so many different things. You know, like if another band has nine members with two percussionists, like then they're going to be called a Slipknot clone. If they wear masks, yes. they're going to be called a Slipknot clone. Yes. There's many things that make this band what it is. Yeah. Uh, so if someone else does that, it's just immediately associated with it. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Good kind of cool. Very they cornered, cool. They cornered a bunch of markets. Yeah, there's not a lot of bands who could say that. They're yeah. on like a small list with like Kiss, Rush. Yeah. No, I don't know. We can't go through this. <laughs> Speaking of Kiss and Rush, it's actually something I wanted to, to talk about because I've thought about it before. And like, you know, we even had not that issue, but that commentary with Gaslight, you know, where you start getting into bigger rooms mm-hmm. and it's like, wait, like these stages are bigger. There's more people here. Do you have to bring lights? Do you have to start like providing an extra element of the show as like part and parcel for like the ticket price and things like that? Like, mm-hmm. do you think like a band at some point like owes a show to their audience? Uh, I think so to a certain level. Like, in the case you're mentioning, like, okay, so say as Gaslight started playing big rooms, you know, it, do you continue doing the same show and bring, uh, you know, like the club show to the PNC without, uh, you know, like extra lights or all that stuff? Yeah. Um, and I think at a certain point you do kind of have to scale up just because it, just to like protect your band's vibe or vision. Like if you don't do it, like somebody is going to be running the lights, right? Like there's going to be some sort <laughs> right. of lighting thing. Yeah. So if you have some input into that and like have your own person or have your own lighting package that you've, uh, you know, created or you've agreed on, then that's, you know, that's just like the next step of your band and furthering like that exponential growth of your vision. Right. And your like visual representation. Hmm. So I do think, I don't know, I kind of think it's, it's like, it can be seen as one of those hesitant things to bands who are like, ah, oh, you know, like we're just a, you know, like we're a rock band, whatever. Right. Yeah. Or we're a punk band or something. And like, there's the, the reluctance to sort of, uh, to grow into that bigger area. Right. But I mean, it's also an opportunity to expand on that vision or that representation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of think like the, like the kind of light show you put on, Right. represents you whether you want it to or not. So I mean, as far like as lights, that that's just like, you you know, you need the ability to like control your own show, mm-hmm. right? But like say, say a band just takes their club show and goes to like an arena and just puts it mm-hmm. on that stage. Like how mm-hmm. weird does it look if they just don't do anything? Like it looks weird, right? No, nah, I mean, I've seen it work. Like, Like who makes that work? I mean, if you think of band like like the Black Keys or Springsteen or like any of that, like they're not doing yeah, that's true. Like a bunch of explosions and a bunch of yeah. you know yeah, like nobody's flying into the rafters or doing all this right. crazy stuff. They're kind of like you know you you take the idea of what your your show vibe is and you just try to figure out a creative way to to make it work in like a larger space. Like I saw one Black Keys show. That was in an arena, and I thought it was cool where they had a like a video wall kind of thing that floated above the stage and a lighting truss. And when they did songs that were like a chunk of songs that were just the two members on stage again, mm. they would bring all of that in. Oh, so it like kind of tightened up the physical stage space, right? Right. Which I thought was kind of cool, and even on like festival stages. Um, you know, like I'll encourage bands if, you know, like if all of a sudden you're used to playing clubs 
And then you're playing a festival where you have 150 feet from left to right. And I see a lot of people take that room. They're like, oh, whoa, we have all this room. We can do it. Like, right. don't, don't do that. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> it kills the vibe. Like, right. like for against me or something, it was always a pretty tight setup. And I think that encouraged like how band members played on each other. Okay. Or how even how you can hear. Like if you're used to having, you know, being able to hear the bass cab because it's, you know, 15 feet behind you. Right. When it's 45 feet behind you and way <laughs> off to their side. Yeah. I think it messes with your show. Sure. Like how, like you don't want to struggle to hear. Just your so performing if, vibe. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if you can kind of keep things consistent and not just uh, be like, oh, I have this opportunity. Huh. Like, it's going to throw you and it's going to probably make you actuator on stage or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Try some, but, try some moves you never practiced in front of your mirror <laughs> sure. before. You don't want to do that. Yeah. Like I definitely made that same mistake. I remember being 18 and, you know, like played shitty little bars. And then we played Milwaukee Metal Fest. <laughs> that was like a, at a little arena and we played at, I don't know, 1 p.m. or something. And it was a massive stage with all these like, you know, rental backline. Right. Uh, like full stacks. And I'm like, I'm going to plug into every one of these full stacks. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to go set up on the far side of stage. And like, it was brutal. Like the drummer, <laughs> the drummer couldn't hear, like he wasn't used to having monitors around. Yeah, like, yeah. So you had to rely on all these other variables. We had to stop a song in the middle oh, because no. none of us, none of us were playing like the same part. Yeah, yeah. We all just kind of looked at each other and hit an open note and then like stopped at the same time. We're like, what is oh, happening? That's so, good. so from like that moment on, I was like, all right, we need to like stick to stick yeah. to what we're used to, regardless of the situation. Yeah, don't fuck around. So say, say like next week, or like say Whenever Love and Pain releases their their new music, uh-huh. and it blows up, becomes international success. We're the new Coldplay. The new Coldplay. <laughs> you, you're the next Chris, kid. You got it in you. Like, We're the next U2. Apple Music puts all of our records <laughs> on your phone, whether you want it or not. Love and Pain is a Samsung artist. <laughs> <laughs> Android uh, only. Android only <laughs> product. Green text. Um, so say, just say, like, take that hypothetical. Like, you guys get huge, and all of a sudden, you have carte blanche as far yeah. as, like, the stage show you want to do. What are you yeah. doing? Uh, I, don't, I mean, it's hard to say specifics, but I'd do some... Some real cool vibey shit, man. Yeah, we're we talking screens. Like we talking props. Two Marshall A oh. tens, both with JMPs, <laughs> left and right of you. There'd be a whole lot of amps, a whole lot of guitars. <laughs> Probably do some like set, like we're playing in some weird, spooky graveyard from the fifties. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Stage is covered in haze the entire time. Uh huh. Purple haze? Purple haze uh-huh. in my brain. <laughs> yeah, bunch of cool stuff. You going bi- and who are you hiring as your guitar tech? Ooh. Oh, man. Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah, I asked it. Come on, Brad. Well, one name popped to mind, but if I say this name, then every other guitar tech I know is going to be like, what the, what uh-huh. the hell, man? So, I know. Yeah. 
Give me the initials. Let me I mean, the first name that popped into my head is Pat Benson oh, because he's love Pat my Benson. Ma- yeah, he's my boy. Yeah, I think and that's safe. That's your that's he, your friend. Yeah, I mean, even I definitely would not pick uh, someone that I know to be the most technically proficient <laughs> right. is going to solve every problem that may arise and entertain any whim over someone that's going to get the vibe and be it a homie. Well, I mean, that's half of, half of the job, right? Of being, it is being the crew, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not like for that. Like, I mean, unfortunately for, I mean, I know many people who are very technically proficient who get fired because it's just not the vibe. Right. But I also know people who are like very much the vibe who get fired because the they are not as technically proficient as the job would demand. Yeah, it's interesting. It's that like tough balance thing hmm. for everybody, you know? And it changes from group to group, you know, job to yeah, job. Sure. Now, Brad Clifford, you're one of the most like committed detestable humans no 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 no. (laughs) you'll find out in the intro how much i actually love you brad you know i love you and you're gonna find out how much it's did you already record an intro not yet okay i had to see how this panned out see if you're a a fucking dick about it you're like brad clifford i i used to like him a lot things have changed a bit after Um, 70 minutes on zencaster (laughs) dead to me (laughs) but but I was going to say, you're one of just the most committed travelers I know. You know, like one of those people who you never seem to tire from the road, you know, like like we'll show up in, in Brussels and I'll be like a total bummer throwing my stuff on the bed. Like, you're like, come on, let's go. Like, come on, we're doing this. We're doing this thing. Let's go. You know, and I'm like, fine, Brad. I- I Let do kind of sound like that. Two pairs of socks because I know you're going to make me walk like 17 miles. It's but true. When, I I, when Brad Clifford myself, says it's 15 minutes, it's half an hour. It's at least. No, nah, I got it on my phone. Let's go. Um, <laughs> but like, when did that start for you? Like, was there any? Um, was there a lot of travel as a kid um, with your family? Like, like was this instilled in you? I know you do a lot of traveling with your mom now. Was that? carrying on old traditions or like, when did this start for you? When you knew you really, you just loved being out there like that. Uh, I don't know. I don't, we, I didn't do like a, you know, a normal amount of family traveling. We weren't like nomad family or anything, but I think especially this last year and a half or whatever has definitely taught me that I'm, that it's not like this inherent, like gotta get out there travel thing in me because now there are many times that, my girlfriend would be like, we should go away for the weekend or something. And I'm like, uh, yeah. yeah right. I mean, I have a lot of stuff I kind of want to take care of too. <laughs> right. So I've kind of learned it's not this inherent thing. I think it's more just like taking up, like taking advantage of the opportunity that you're in, mm. right? Um, like, I don't want to be the dude who someone is like, oh, you've been to Brussels. What's it like? And you're like, uh, I mean... It looked like this from the window, yeah. you know, like right, if right. I have, I spend enough time just like in a venue or in a parking lot that if there is the opportunity to go check something out, like I'd like to take advantage of the opportunity. Right. So I think it definitely stems more from that than the like, I'm real antsy. I always got to go somewhere. Kind yeah. Of thing. Right. So it's um, not some like, uh, 
it's not like born of necessity. Yeah. Plus, I mean, I, I mean, that's definitely one of the advantages of uh, touring and things like that is getting to see many parts of the world that you would never have an opportunity to see otherwise unless you like really dedicated time and resources to that. Totally. Uh, and there's tons of cool shit in the world and there's tons of like weird, like, you know, like Atlas Obscura was always my like, every morning I'd see what's near and to find out like what weird quirky stuff was around. Yeah. What skeleton is in my direct vicinity? <laughs> <laughs> that is 100% my vibe. It. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Since Jared brought up skeletons, let's just get right to this. Uh-oh. Okay. Because we were sharing a hotel room one night. Okay. I don't even remember what city we were in. Paris. It was in... All right. <laughs> <laughs> And I know there, I know what this story yeah, is going to yeah, be. Well, I, know. I know this story yeah, too. I'm like, <laughs> and you know, I'm vibing. I think like I'd been in a room. I was probably like doing yoga, trying not to like, you know, like hate myself or something. And you know, you're, you're running running, your third bath. Yeah, running my third bath. Um, and you know, doing the thing. And you show back up and you have like <laughs> kind of a mischievous little grin on you. And I'm like, what? What's going on? And you had told me, I don't think I saw it because I was terrified, but you had told me that a bone had miraculously <laughs> left, left the crypt of somewhere in Paris and wound up in my damn hotel room. And I was like, what is this juju you just brought to me? What is this? I'm doing yoga here to try to leave the spirits. The spirits on the other side of the door. You just invited them in. So It's true. Dude, what the fuck happened? You really took a bone from a crypt? Uh, I did not, actually. So we had a day off in Paris. A uh, bunch of people were going to go to the catacombs. And I had been there like the month before. Uh, so I was like, oh, I'm going to go. I don't know what else I did that day. Yeah, but yeah. go roam around to some other thing I hadn't done in Paris. And jokingly, I said to someone else uh, who was going, I was like, bring me back a skull. And they're like, oh, okay. And then, so I get a text. He's like, are you back at the hotel? I'm like, yep. We're like, all right, I'm coming to your room. I'm like, okay. And they walk in with like that same mischievous smile. And they're like, what's up, bud? I'm like, what's up? He's like, I got something for you. <laughs> what? And he talks just like that. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and just tosses me something. And I'm like, what? I catch it? And it's a piece of human bone oh from the catacombs in Paris. So probably from like the Black Plague era. Uh, it's probably like a little chunk of a femur or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, what are we talking here? Like two inches, four inches? Uh, yeah, it's probably like three inches by two inches or something like that. Sizable. Sizable. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, no way. I was stoked because I'm a creep. Um, <laughs> and... I was very appreciative. And I was like, what did you like? You didn't yank this off something. He was like, no, I, I saw it on the ground. I mean, have you been to the catacombs? No. Okay. Whatever. Lots of skulls, lots of old stuff, <laughs> lots of like, but there's, you know, pieces that chip off or something like right, that. Right, right. Sure. Um, so he's like, he saw it on the ground and was like, oh my God, here's my chance for Brad. Yeah. And then like pr pretended to tie a shoe and like stuck it up his sleeve. So, and then I, uh, yeah, I kept it 
in my bag and brought a curse to all of our future hotel rooms for that trip. But where, where does it live now? Oh, it's in my living room, babe. <laughs> it's looking? in a it's in a glass jar with a little wood pedestal, whatever you call oh, that thing. You did like you proper did it. You did it. Oh, it's yeah. it's got to be on display, right? You've honored it. Yep. Man. And I've had nothing but fortuitous experiences ever since. It's true. I just, <laughs> I am just shocked that this person could go about this act and not pass out whilst doing it. Because I think <laughs> whenever I think of going in the catacombs, I'm not sure I could do it. I think I would be in two in my head, let alone put a human bone up my sleeve and carry it around with me. Yeah. Oh man! If pull I a could, fucking pull a fucking Shawshank in there. I'd be needing smelling salts. <laughs> I, the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, if there was a human skull laying there, I would have stuck that down my pants and <laughs> and hightailed out there. Like All right, that stuff a, doesn't. This is that a stuff doesn't program. freak me out. Is it? <laughs> One last sex Who's act family. For you, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that kind of down the pants. See, I wasn't even thinking of that nasty stuff. Oh. Well, you know me. I've had sex with a ghost before, so. Oh boy! Tell us about that, Benny. Oh, uh, I actually had I just told the story in a pretty recent episode. <laughs> which um, which guest? Um, I might not have heard this one. I don't remember when we recently got into hauntings, but it was just a few weeks ago. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, we'll talk about it in private, but I'm, I'm almost certain <laughs> that I had a, a paranormal sexual experience. Did you climax? Yes. Great yes, success. I yes, I did. So. All right, so you Did have this dissip- in your house. We're not allowed, obviously, we're not allowed to name names of the person who did it, right? We don't uh, want to do that. We don't want to air that. I don't think it really matters either way. Oh, yeah, because we don't use his real name. Mav, <laughs> I want to live. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no more inside jokes. No one will, okay. No one will get our lamb jokes in the, uh, in the interview. The, but it's too fucking funny. You freaked me out so bad that night. It's true. You were like legitimately bummed. Yeah, I, 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 I made I, sure I to like never... I with voodoo. I don't, you know? <laughs> like, like, I like leaving that stuff alone. It's like, you ever sure. seen Ian Perkins in New Orleans? Yes. Like, he won't even leave his room. It's true. He's so scared of the voodoo that you do, <laughs> you know? Well, kind of the same way when you take like, you know, what, thousand-year-old bones out of things. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if I've ever told you this, Brad, but, you know, right before I die, like if I have like some little, like an hour in purgatory or whatever is going to happen, mm-hmm. I was always hoping that I'd get to read my life almanac, you know? Really? Just, yeah, basically stats. You know, okay. you know, I love stats and I wanted to read like the stats of my own life, like weird shit. Like how many miles have you driven? Like total. Like Whoa. how many, you know, how many times have you like, how many What's hours? What's your batting average? Yeah. How many hours have you collectively pissed in your whole life? Like weird <laughs> shit. I'm just curious. And one of the things I think about is what city or place that I have not lived, have I spent the most time in? Okay. What would that city be for you? I'm curious. Uh... Probably like L.A. or something like that. You know, if you yeah are there for a month making a record, that's you know going to stack hard against every other day you've had sure a show a show day and an off day or something like that. You yeah, know? the boring L.A. What do you think? For me, I mean, it must be the same for you. Like a place where you made a record and I mean, I spent a good grip of time. I kind of have like some years that I did like couch surfing and stuff. 
strangely for me, it could be like Woodbridge, New Jersey, you know, like, uh, <laughs> like because of non-touring uh, couch surfing that I did when I was What young if you there. took it out of your home state? Uh, actually, because of the two albums, it's probably Nashville. Okay. Because between those two, you know, I spent like three months in that city. Um, yeah, it's probably that. I know the year 2007, I spent more time in Florida than New Jersey. And in 2008 and nine, I spent more time in Germany than New Jersey. Mm. Uh, if it's Germany, my, you know, yeah, we're not going to talk. More time that. in Germany than New Jersey. That happens. The Germans, wow. thank you, Gunnar, you know? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so, Brad, we have a fan question. Oh, boy. You have a big fan that was hanging out with us in the studio today. It's true. That's weird already. Yeah, he's like, he's like, oh, you're interviewing Brad Clifford? I follow him on Instagram. I'm an Instagram enthusiast. <laughs> an enthusiast. Enthusiast. Yeah, so uh, this guy has a question for you, a fan question for Brad Brad Clifford. Brad, Worrell. Hey, Brad. Dave from New Jersey here. What piece of music most influenced the person you are today? And what was your worst guitar-related injury? <laughs> well, Dave from New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> my worst... I mean, the worst guitar-related injury, I feel like, would be an easier question to answer. Um I feel like I don't have many guitar-related injuries. I feel like I have inflicted guitar-related injuries. <laughs> uh, like in Since My Man, I, you know, as bands tend to do from time to time, you swing around the headstock of your guitar and your singer's face just happens to be there. Right. And they have to get stitches or something. Oh, um, this happened? Oh, yeah. You took out a face of your singer? Yeah, there was like a moment where, you know, someone's going down on the headbang and your headstock is sort of coming up and their face explodes. Uh, But to his credit, we were in France on like a, the only little like shitty DIY uh, European tour the band ever did. Super fun, but uh, like really small, like punk venues and fun stuff. So we're just playing on the floor of like a community center kind of thing. Right. And his face just explodes. Oh, and maybe, I don't know, like a couple songs left or something. So he just, he's a ruler of a dude. So he just does the rest of the show. He carried on. Yeah. Whoa. And there's blood everywhere. Whoa. And then right after, uh, he like runs off, goes to the bathroom, which is like, you know, the public bathroom. <laughs> uh, and I run in and I'm like, dude, are you okay? And he's like, I'm fine. Wait. Don't you have a camera? Why aren't you taking pictures of this? Oh, what? And I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, that's my guy. Yeah, yeah. You were trying to do like the what is it, the 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 metalhead who took all the pictures of his friend? Mayhem. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm like, I'm just different. checking if my I'm checking if my guy's okay. And he's like, no, we just gotta document the blood. Yeah, yeah for the next album cover. Yeah, right. That's awesome. So, uh, so that's probably the most physical damage. Never, never on yourself. No, I mean the most like physical damage that I've caused is like repairing. Like, I don't know. Like this year, I was uh, like chiseling part of a headstock, and the chisel was very sharp and new, oh, and no. kind of the blade slipped to the side and cut through the meat of my thumb pretty, 
pretty notably. Yeah. Uh, and I just kind of like looked up at the guy I was having a conversation with at the time. I was like, oh shit. And then ran to the bathroom and saw the damage and then ran back. I was like, I need a ruling. Super glue or hospital. Oh. And, sh- and showed him and he's like, okay, hospital, let's oh, go. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, just like guided me to his car. Wow. Uh, but as far as shows, I can't remember any times that I've like, messed myself up with my own guitar, I guess. Okay. I see the guitar more as like a weapon that one yields as opposed to one that hurts <laughs> the one that is holding it. Yeah, so you're more like Ben Wyman style. <laughs> like just stab people in the stomach with it. Yeah, to a lesser yeah, extent. Yeah. All yeah. Right. All right, what about the other question from your biggest fan, Dave? The piece of music that's most in influenced my life. Is that what it was? Something along those lines? It's deep. Uh, I guess it would have to be something in like formative years of listening to music. Like the first thing that would would come to mind would think of like a a Converge, The Saddest Day or something like Mm. that. Like something that really made you lose your mind at a young age at a show and realize how... uh, Deeply, something resonates. Sure. Enough to sort of put a life on a trajectory. Yeah. You were um, like a hardcore metalhead when you were a kid, right? Yeah. I mean, I liked, I was like very into Nirvana and very into Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> right. Kind of thing um, in like grade school and high school. But uh, as soon as I kind of understood, like I had some friends who listened to hardcore, but I didn't, I thought that was just like punk, which never musically it was like my vibe it was too of a too much of a simple thing right as opposed to my like at the time complex like death metal tastes yeah right uh but then like specifically with converge he, like my a friend had it on once in like grade school or high school and i was like what this is a metal band he's like no it's not it's a hardcore band i'm like <laughs> what like what what do you see as this not being metal he's like well they have they don't have long hair right yeah and i'm like uh okay yes but then also like i'm like okay no long hair check got it but then he's like oh it's like plus it's not about like horror movie stuff <laughs> and then that's when i was like fully in because uh, i was never into like the horror movie aspect right, right. i was like oh this is like things that often i should say things that matter or right. people talking about important issues or something like that, much more so than the metal world of things that I was into or doing. So that's what appealed to me about hardcore. And it was much more of like a, a community thing and like a proactive thing and a change thing and all that stuff kind of resonated. And then I was interested in like a scene, I think for the first time because of that. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, and I mean, the, the, the difference between metal and hardcore at times is so thin musically. Oh, absolutely. It, it really just has to do with like presentation and lyrics, right? That's the only yeah. thing that really changes it. Yeah. I guess that's a lot of music now too. It really is like the... Yeah, right. Like, like how it's marketed more so than what it sounds sure. like. 
because apparently Machine Gun Kelly and Jimmy Eat World are the same genre, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> at this point. Yeah, it seems like now they are, yeah. <laughs> I think they are, yeah. Shaking my head. Hey, times change, Jared. You know, you're younger than me. You shouldn't be angrier than me. What are, you sh- what are you shaking your head He's at? He's over here. here just shaking his damn head. Shaking. S-M-D-H. S-M-D-H. Damn kids. So... You want to know what's funny? Before we started this, I had texted two people we toured with extensively, one of which was the Bone Thief and the (laughs) other being Ian Perkins. And I'm like, Uh random cry. I'm like, what's the funniest Brad Clifford memory you have? Uh, No. And you want to know? You'll enjoy this. You want to know what the unifying factor between both of their answers was? There was a unified answer. Wow. A unifying factor. Oh, okay. Which was fur. (laughs) Are you proud? (laughs) This makes it sound like I'm a furry and both of them have a story about this. I mean, apparently you are. Well, in one person's, I think I know what what they would be referring to in this. Uh, Not far from a furry activity, but I don't know what the other one would be. Well, what is the one you think? Uh, We were at the... Paramount in Long Island. Yeah. And there's like a little bar below there that we all went to after like they had open for for us. Um, and there was a bearskin, like a fake bearskin rug. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, well, I mean, you know what you got to do on a bearskin rug. <laughs> and it was like in a little side room. Yeah. So then I just got in my underwear and laid on a bearskin rug. <laughs> you not only laid on it, I believe you... Stood up and paraded around wearing it almost as like a cape. And now you get what I'm talking about, full (laughs) circle, where I'm just waiting on everyone else to get drunk to do the dumb shit that I want to do sober. Yeah, yeah, right there. It's right there for you. (laughs) Now, the other one from the high man, Ian John John Perkins was... John John. He's like, my instant first thing is that mad picture of him on the fur rug eating a banana. Is that Ooh. the same instance or a separate fur instance? He's got it a little confused. Oh, he has it mixed up. Yeah. He's probably thinking of the same fur rug and incident, but the banana thing was, uh, we were at, I don't know, some venue in Vegas and it was some like big show stage kind of thing. And by one of the dressing rooms, they had like a whole giant rack of costumes for whatever other like house production it is of like, go-go dancers. I don't know, whatever it is. Yeah. And there was one that was like a, I don't know, like a latex top corset-y kind of thing <laughs> that had like the chest cut out of it kind of yes. thing. Yes. Uh, and so I was just like trying on all these <laughs> outfits. Go on. <laughs> and I like was running around with this one, like whatever weird latex top was it on. Uh-huh. And the tour manager was a very good photographer, our buddy Scotty. Uh, <laughs> was like, let me get a shot. So I jumped on top of this. I think it was a piano uh-huh. that was in the room and yes. like gra- grabbed a banana that was nearby and gave it like a sultry eating a banana in this latex top while wearing a... Or, yeah, while eating a banana. But oh, very sexy. Very. You know, it's, very sexy. It's just what I strive for in these I situations. Know, I know, Brad. Um, it's a good thing you never did that when we were rooming together all those years. 
What, eat a banana in a sultry way? If I way? looked over one night and you were, you know, in your skivvies eating a banana wrapped in bear mm-hmm. skin, I might not have been able to do anything about it. You know? <laughs> it's no control at that point. You're already slim and handsome. I don't know if I could have. <laughs> I don't know if I could have taken it. Um, so you got any uh, epic trips with mom coming up? No, we just she just came out here. I saw her for the first time in a year and a half. So what's and that? Tell the people like you have a really cool thing going with your mom in the last last many years, where you guys choose places to go, national parks, and you yeah. get out and you hike. Like, what's the deal with that? How did that start? Like, uh, just started. Uh, actually, I remember it was on a gaslight tour. We were yeah. in Minneapolis, and I was talking to my mom on the phone, and she was talking about how. She was trying to go to the, the Grand Canyon because she's always right. wanted to hike to the bottom. I was like, what do you right. mean you've always... She's like, oh, no, for like almost my whole life, I've wanted to hike to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, but I don't know who would go with me. I'm like, oh. this is the first time I've ever heard of this, A. Eh? Like you should never want to do something for decades and not do it. <laughs> right. uh, and I'll go with you. Let's, let's do it. So then we went, we went, hiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, uh, had a great time. And then it sort of became this like yearly do a national park trip kind of thing. And do you guys uh, like proper camp? Like, like what do you do when you're out? No, we never have. I don't think she has like a, a deep interest in uh, doing like a full backpacking thing right, where you're, right, where you're yeah. doing all that and bringing all your food and your, your camp stuff. Uh, so it's more just like lighter pack, like day trip kind of things. And sure. we'll stay at a, uh, stay in a, like a, I don't know what you call it. Like in Yosemite, we stayed at like a little, in a little tent that we rented for like, you know, 12 bucks or whatever. Yeah. Uh, No, it was just like a little like camp tent. They have like a little cot. You bring your sleeping bag and simple. That's the vibe kind of thing. Awesome. Um, Or sometimes just stay in like a normal hotel kind of thing. But yeah. Matt, how is it like, I mean, you know, you know, readdressing like a you know, relationship with your mom later in life and spending like that much time together in such an intimate way? Like, have you been able to connect on like a deeper level, a next level that that you weren't able to when you were younger? Yeah, it's definitely less of like a a son parent kind of vibe. Right. And now just like friends. So it's, it's kind of funny coming into that from perspective and talking about all the stuff that like I did as a kid and then lied about (laughs) and we'll just talk about that yeah and sometimes we'll sort of get in like truth telling sessions of and her being like okay so brad i've got to ask in fifth grade (laughs) did you (coughs) smash the window and then tell us that a burglar must have broken in (laughs) and then the police came and then you told the police that you didn't do it so then all of us thought we got burglarized and I'm like, hell yeah, that was me 100%. Oh like, God. I'm in fifth grade. I just think I don't want to get grounded and it yeah. doesn't go further than that. So yeah, I was locked out of the house and I smashed the window in oh, on accident when I was God. trying to jimmy it open. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So you get to yeah. like have have late late in life admissions. Does she, how's her reaction to it? Is she like, you, lo- you little prick or does she just think it's funny now? I mean, she's smart. Like right. I'm sure I'm sure most parents uh are much more aware than we ever give them credit for. Yeah, probably. Uh yeah. like I'm sure the same is for you that I'm sure your kids think they're getting away with stuff all the time that you're like, 
I'm letting you have this, but I know what's going on, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is true. But it's kind of funny to to be at a good place later in life where you just come around and <laughs> none of that stuff matters anymore. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Now let's say like, say we're flying the walls. Like I'm like, I'm flying a drone or something and I, <laughs> you know, catch you in the middle of a Grand Canyon hike or something. What's like, What's what's something you two are getting into? You doing philosophy? You doing existentialism? You talk about religion? Like, are you proper getting deep, or is it really just kind of like just really nice and casual at this point? Mm, I guess there is some sort of like not not like terribly deep philosophical kind of things, but uh, I mean, I have lots of opinions on life, and sure. and she does too of different different ideologies and. We'll get into that a bit, but that being, it's not like a, it's definitely never confrontational. Um, I've probably likened this to you before as a simple definition, but my mom is personality wise, 100% Marge Simpson. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) like that's the the simplest and best way I can put it. Yeah. uh Uh, Okay. And you know, you don't really get in like a, a big blowout or a tense situation with Marge Simpson. Like the most she's going to do is be like, Oh, Brad, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. Right. But, right. Uh, uh, or be like, Oh, like I, I see what you mean, uh, but <laughs> well, maybe it makes sense that you spent so many years attempting to shock people, you know, <laughs> this is kind of tying together. Here, Brad, lay down on the couch for a minute for me, huh? <laughs> Let's get Analyze me. <laughs> Fix me. Fix me. Why do I want this old skull? <laughs> what is wrong with me? It's not why do you want it. It's why you don't care. That, <laughs> that's what. Of course, everyone wants it. It's a cool old skull. The thing I never understood is like, wait, Brad's really smart. He's not, you know, abject to mysticism. He's not abject to spirituality. You know, he's open to these things. So I just figured he'd be more like me in the idea that, like, <laughs> you just kind of don't want to mess with it, you know? Like, I think the messing with it leads to there possibly being evidence that it's real. Oh. Yeah, I think Jared's onto something. Yeah? Is that what you're doing? You tempt it to see if... Let's, let's go. Where are you at? <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Well, he almost, All fucking, right. he almost brought me with him, you know? All right. So I got your skull in my North Face bag. <laughs> I got your skull in my luggage. What do you got? Yeah. Is Benny right? Show me something. <laughs> Strike me down with lightning if it's real. You got by midnight, G-O-D. <laughs> Otherwise, I know you're full of shit. Uh, it's funny, too. In that same Since by Man interview I pulled the quote with before, you were making baby Jesus comments too, so <laughs> really? yeah, you've been on this. You've been I don't know, man. I've been on like such a yeah, like just acting like a kid, saying weirdo stuff all the time. Yeah. I was a little nervous when you uh, <laughs> said you were reading through old interviews because I don't know, maybe a year ago I like Googled something, yeah, that I, and I found some stuff that is definitely like changing of the times that I. Uh, in retrospect, like I'm very embarrassed to have said. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. Like I remember reading one and kind of my answer for something was like, oh, someone something. And I said like, for some retarded reason. Right. Yeah. And I was like mortified sure. reading my name attached to this. And I'm like, oh, like I would never say that today. Of course. And I'm like, 
hopefully this speaks to how like I and hopefully most of the world is like growing in terms of awareness of what's not cool to say sure. and what's like yeah on what's uh judgmental and what is you know insensitive and things like that. Uh, it seems as but, if people are going to have to come up with a new barometer for that at some point because you know as the years go on the direction we're going every single person on earth is going to be subject to 12-year-old tweets oh you yeah 13-year-old posts 14-year-old blogs you know like all this shit and you know the 12 13 14-year-olds are um fucking stupid <laughs> and are going to continue saying dumb shit and like it's and true it, it pops up in sports a lot you know some guy will get drafted and they'll be like ah when he was 14 he wrote this tweet that said this yeah and like listen we're just gonna have to like we really got to start looking at people's intentions a little bit because you know you really be able to fucking nail everybody at this point you know yeah i mean i guess that speaks to looking at the intent of a law versus the, yes. you know, like the, the the letter of the law or something like right. that. Well, intent has a lot to do with it. Like, you know, I've told this story before, but it always rings with me. It's like, I once had a very bad breakup and this said ex-girlfriend broke into my then MySpace page oof, <laughs> and wrote messages to every female person I oof. followed being like, hey, I just follow you because I want you to suck my dick. And wow. like, you know, these really like lewd messages to all these women. And literally not one of them thought it was me. There was like 20 messages back. That's great. And like 15 of them were like, dude, I think you got hacked. And then like five of them are like, Benny, like, are you okay? Like, this, what's going on? You know? And yeah. You know, like track record has something to do with it, right? Like, oh, yeah. If something that's way out of character for right. you, I mean, yeah. So don't be a dick, right? And <laughs> on that token, Brad, you know, I, you know, you, you come off to me as such a, um, a well adjusted person in a lot of ways. I know that's like maybe hard for you to believe standing where you're standing. Boy, have I got you, fool. I mean, I <laughs> listen, you know, I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop with everybody. Sure. And for years, I would pick your brain and we'd go out and I'm like, I'm going to get to the, the meaty, vulnerable center <laughs> of Brad eventually and he's going to crack and tell me. I never could. You know, you're really consistent and, and, and really... I've only got one layer. And really kind of well-adjusted. And like, <laughs> um, you know, you have a, a nice way to put things in a place they need to be put and you know like the human bone that's in my living room exactly uh but considering you know like the place a lot of people are at these days and trying to get to a good place you know maybe what are some some tools you could offer people to uh you know wake up and and get their head on right like like is there any kind of daily practice or discipline you take part of or is there any advice you could throw down i don't really do many like uh daily practice or routine kind of things mm -hmm. I, I don't know i think most of it just stems from like i at least at this point in my life i, I don't know how it came off as earlier years or anything but now like i'm i just feel incredibly fortunate for many things 
And you see like a, such a terrible and difficult world for so many people out there that, uh, you know, in terms of living situations or, or things they've had to deal with emotionally or physically or things like that. So to have uh, a relatively small amount of that in my life is age is something I'm extremely fortunate for and try to recognize that, but then also try to recognize like what everyone else might be going through. Um, you know, you talk with other friends or anybody else in life and everybody's going through stuff that takes a while for them to share or things that are really affecting them on like a person at like a core personality level. You can kind of see like how they are, like why they are, how they are mm. because of certain things. Right. Um, and to not have anything that I necessarily identify with as like a deep trauma, um, be a part of that is just feeling really lucky. Um, so I, it's not like, oh, you can be chill and good if you just compare yourself to others and think you're doing all right. Right. But seeing sort of uh, how things could be so much worse and definitely in terms of uh, like jobs or lifestyle things, uh, finding something in this life or many things in life that I'm like passionate about, I'm extremely thankful for whatever is responsible for that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and being able to like half-ass make my way into a a living doing something that I enjoy and am passionate about. Sure. I think is uh, somewhat rare for a lot. Like maybe that's a hobby for most people um, or not a priority for a lot of people too. Sure. And it does take sacrifice. It, you know, take something that you're into and make that the direction you're just going to like follow no matter what. Yeah. Um, despite what falls to the wayside because of it. Sure. But you know, most people, probably most people just kind of have jobs or uh, ways to make a living that they're not particularly invested in. You know, it's a means to an end or a means to uh, support other interests. Yeah. But kind of not having to separate that for me is, I feel really lucky about. Sure. Well, it sounds so like I the, guess, the discipline is recognition and the recognition leads to perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. Um, yeah. And just feeling lucky. Well, I hope you feel lucky enough to start building lights again because we're feeling a little naked here. You're the, missing the vibe. The music's a little lost without our pyramid <laughs> light. I'm still waiting on it's our, true. It's gotten our dark. repair. But, uh, uh I used to make some glass for anyone listening and not perspective. I, I like one of many hobbies. I would like make things out of glass and I would, I made light Benny, a, a light. A beautiful it, was like a gl- light. it was like a glass pyramid. I loved that. It. Uh, that broken came back to me. And since it came back to me, I have not once uh, pulled out any of my glass supplies <laughs> because like, you know, cause it is like, I have, what feels like at times like too many interests. Yeah, right. And especially now, like, you know, living uh, with my girlfriend and things like that. It's less, you know, it's more time like, oh, I'm going to hang out with my girlfriend as opposed to stuff that was just, I'm alone at home. What am I going to do? Right. Well, just make me the promise that we're number one, Brad, because... Oh, you're number one. Listen, Mercy Union, we're doing fine. (laughs) We're doing pretty good. We're chugging along. But, <laughs> you know, a guiding light... you could light, really be trucking. A guiding light would be really helpful, you know? What point. would you do if I made you a new pyramid uh-huh. that lit up uh-huh. 
And then all of a sudden, one day you're moving it around and you heard something jiggle around a there's bit a on the inside. Bone inside. <laughs> and there's a human bone in there. You look in there and you see through the little clear pinnacle. You're like, that son of a bitch. You know what I would do, Brad? I would take your spirit and I would gauge my response simply on what had happened from the time I received the light to the time I found it. And if that was positive, the curse is lifted and I'm with you, you know? And it's all mumbo jumbo. Yeah, None this, of it's real. This could be very good for me. This is like an emotional <laughs> mental shower. Thank you, Brad. Let's do this. All right, dude. I've had you on here for a long time. This was so much fun. Super fun. Thanks for pulling a late nighter with us. Oh, after work. It's not even that late here. Thank you guys for, yeah. for doing it this late. Yeah. Well, I love you, Brad. I appreciate it. You're the best. Love you guys very much. Thank you for having me on and super fun. Oh boy. It's like, sounds like a couple of guys sitting around on the uh, bus after a show. That's what it sounded like. Now let me ask your opinion, Brad. Mm -hmm. Say you're in my position with that bone story. (laughs) What's like, what do you do? Like, are you okay with that? I'm not that freaked out by bones, but you forget my dad was an archaeologist. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> right. You were probably just, was your fucking house just filled with bones? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, fucking, no big deal. Yeah. Like, get your one little bone out of here. I had like, yeah. I had Jesus's femur in my living room, bro. Granted, a lot of the bones in my house were actually like petrified already. So... Right. They were, uh, you know, one step removed from kind of the gross factor. But there were some fresher bones as well. Now, in your in your experience, your vast experience with bones, like, did you feel vibes on it or it's just it's just a fucking bone? No, I never. I didn't get any vibes. I So the only thing that I ever got vibes from was my sister came back from Africa and she brought me this, like, you know, handmade kind of, like, gazelle or something. I don't know what it was. And I got bad vibes from it. Like, mm. I was kind of like, ah. and I was, and I thought that what I was feeling was that I just didn't like the way it looked, that I'm not into, like, folk art or whatever, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. But I put it up on my dresser. And I realized that, like, not every time, but, like, every couple days I would come in and it would be turned around, like, facing the wall. Whoa. And at first I thought that Eleanor, my roommate, was doing it. And I was like, it was such a thing for her to do, especially if she knew that I was kind of bugged by it. Sure. But I really grilled her on it. And then finally it happened, like, when she wasn't, when she had been gone for a couple days. Okay. And so I got rid of it. That was the only time that I was like, this is too much. I'm not even, I can't deal with this. I don't know what's going on, but it's freaking me out. Yeah, dude. <laughs> All right. So you have had experience. Yeah. Maybe you were being a little cavalier about saying that you wouldn't have cared, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fucking funny. Well, that was a great interview with Brad. I really appreciate him doing that. Yeah, that was really fun. I wanted to get behind the curtain on Slipknot, you know, <laughs> but... Can't get too far. <laughs> yeah, so we got some socials. Thing. People should follow Brad on the uh, the Instagram. As as you saw, he's yeah, he's a great traveler, and he even once told me that 
I was making fun of Instagram one day and then all of his infinite positivity, he said, you know what? Instagram uh, is the impetus for me to get out sometimes trying to find a better picture and it helps me travel and get out. And I'm like, you know what? I guess that's true. Good for you. So what is his Instagram? Oh, it's Brad Clifford. That's it. Very simple. Elegant. Simple. You can follow Jared Hart, J Hart 201. Mm-hmm. Mercy Union. Those guys got some stuff going on. Couple things. Couple two, three things. You can follow Going Off Track at Going Off Track. Mm-hmm. You can also follow us on Patreon by becoming a patron. And uh, Yeah, that would be nice. Could always use a few more patrons, you know. Little, a couple more voices on the... Uh, I'll tell you, the Fireside Chat. Fireside Chat's very nice. Every Thursday. It's uh, a nice place for everybody to come and commune and talk. <laughs> really building a nice community here, Brad. Talk about everything. <laughs> Fair game. Nothing's off the table. It's true. Ever. <laughs> Even this last time, it was like 11 <laughs> o'clock at night. And I just get into like hardcore politics like right i'm like sorry everyone sorry sorry i had to i saw one of those fucking pickup trucks with the diesel stacks and i got all mad you know yeah what are you gonna do but yeah thanks to everyone who uh listens to the program and joins the patreon we really appreciate it and thanks to uh brad and jared for for providing us with coming on board tonight lovely interview yeah so much fun until next time why don't we, Brad, you know what we should do this week? What's that? Let's recommit to kindness, baby. Come on. I'm going to do it. You with me? I'm committing. All right. I love <laughs> it. All right. Let's do this. 